Please stand for the reading of God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest for, before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and, he, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he had kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Steve Curry. I'm um, one of the pastors at Frontline Church uh, in central Oklahoma. It um, was, was a real joy for me and a privilege to spend about five years uh, co-pastoring at Frontline with Tim Kimberly. He's, he's one of my all-time favorite people. And, and I have a real um, love in my heart for this church, too. Um, I pray for you guys often, uh, really asking that the Lord will do all that he desires to do, both in you um, and through you. So it's an honor to be here this morning um, to spend some time with you. Now, I have to admit to you today that given my upbringing and my heritage, I'm probably the least, um, what, um, the least likely person to be standing up here uh, this morning. I come from a long line of people who saw little or no value 
um, in church attendance or in spiritual things of any kind. Um, we didn't even attend church on Christmas and Easter, so we weren't even the, the standard priesters, you know. We didn't go at all. And, um, and the fallout of that was that there was a lot of brokenness in my family. So my parents, between the two of them, uh, were married seven times, okay? Um, my dad was actually, or my mom was my dad's third wife. And, um, and after they divorced, when, uh, when I was 10 years old, my mother was given custody of us. Well, she really wasn't interested in raising me, my brother, and my sister. And so she made a deal with my dad saying, look, if you will pay alimony and child support, you can have the kids. Well, he was really, really committed to us kids. And so he said, deal. And um, so we went to live with my dad. Um, the next few years saw my dad married twice more so that by the time I was 17 years old, um, I was part of a blended family, which consisted of my brother, my sister, and me. Uh, let's see, one stepbrother, two stepsisters, and two half-sisters. Um, it was a little chaotic, um, but it was really, my life had actually settled down so that for the first time in my life, we weren't moving uh, every two years. And so I got to spend my entire high school career um, in one place. Uh, one day in October of my senior year, my dad came home and said, I need to talk to you out in the backyard. So I went out there and, um, and he told me that one of the other guys at his workplace had been telling him about Jesus and that my dad had decided to become a Christian. Well, I was kind of confused because I thought, I thought we already were Christians. I mean, we're Americans, aren't we? Um, but, but he started explaining it to me. And to tell you the truth, it, it really didn't sound that good to me. Um, I already had my future planned out. Um, I had scholarships to attend the University of Nevada at Reno, where I intended to get um, my uh, undergraduate degree in physics. Then uh, on to University of California, Santa Cruz for my master's and Caltech for a PhD in astrophysics. Loved astronomy. And, um, and I just didn't see any place in my life for all this religious stuff. But I kept my eye on dad. And I began to notice little things uh, changing in him. Um, little character flaws that, that I really had just accepted in him. Didn't think they would ever change. And yet they started to change. Now, he had been a Christian for a month when one day he came home with a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is returning, perhaps today. And he put that on his truck. Later on, he, um, he got a really bad headache. And so he went in and lay down. Uh, we didn't know it, but he was experiencing a massive cerebral hemorrhage and he died the next morning. So that really rocked my life. Um, you know, he had, uh, he'd only been a Christian for 30 days, and, and now he was gone. See, he was the one constant in my life. He was like the anchor for me. Um, stepmoms, they came and went. Stepbrothers and sisters came and went. But dad was the rock, and now he was gone. A few days later, we went to the funeral home to view his body. And I'm not sure what I was expecting to see, but what I saw shocked me. Um, I, I, get, I think maybe I was expecting to see him 
like looking like he was asleep. But he didn't look like he was asleep. He looked like he was gone. Looked like he wasn't there. I was looking at the shell that my dad used to walk around in, but dad was now gone. And so though I was deep, you know, deeply grieving, uh, there was also this spark of excitement in me that I thought, if he's not here, then where is he? And, you know, is there something to all this Jesus stuff that he was talking about? Well, I, um, I went home and uh, went to his room and I found this little paperback book that he had been reading, uh, Billy Graham's World of Flame. And so I read that little book and for the first time I heard the gospel. Um, I saw how mankind beginning with our first uh, ancestors had rejected God's good plan for us. And, and that came all the way through up to me. I was doing it too. And, um, but rather than, than God rejecting us, what he did was something really amazing. He decided to come in his love and become one of us and live out that life that we were supposed to live out, that perfect life of obedience to God. He lived that out. Jesus did. And then... He died as a sacrifice for all that sin, not only mine, but for everybody else's. And, but it didn't end there. Then on the third day, he was raised again from the dead because death couldn't hold him. And I think the thing that really hooked me in, in all this story was uh, the scripture from uh, Luke chapter 15 that talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep wanders off. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep in the field. And he goes after that one that was in trouble. See, I knew that I was the one. I, I knew that I was in trouble. And that, that he was coming after me. Um, what got really clear to me. See, it got really personal. And I realized that it wasn't just that Jesus died for the sins of the world. I mean, he did. But it wasn't just that. He died for my sins. See, if I had been the only one to mess up, if all you guys had done it right, if none of you had sinned, he still would have come, he still would have died, he still would have pursued me. And, and when, I, when I heard that, I thought, how can I resist this kind of love? You know, I just, I can't. So, you know, there in my bedroom by myself, I prayed the little prayer that I found in the back of the book, uh, committing myself to follow him. And then something happened that, that I couldn't explain. Um, there I was, this really science-minded guy. And all of a sudden, it seemed like that my bedroom was a bigger space than it had ever been before. And even though it was a bigger space than it had ever been before, it was really crowded with a presence that I didn't recognize but I've come to recognize as the presence of God. And so I knew that something had changed, something was different. And, um, and different is probably a, a really good way to describe how my life has played out since that, that small beginning in 1969. A couple of years later, I found myself being swept up into a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit that became known as the Jesus Movement. Um, people around me, um, were just like me experiencing the love of God and responding to him. 
we, we baptized hundreds and thousands of people in, in any water that we could find. Oceans, rivers, creeks, fountains, you know, any place we could find to baptize people, we baptized them. Um, we saw miracles happening that we, like the ones that we read about in the New Testament. People being healed, people being um, delivered from heroin in 30 seconds. I mean, this isn't cold turkey, this is just God takes it away. And um, I married a girl who was as excited about Jesus as I was, and we moved into a school bus in the KOE campground in Las Vegas. And, uh, and we lived there for a while. We, we finally did move out of the school bus when our third child was on its way. Um, and um, in 1978, we moved to Oklahoma City to help plant a church there. And, um, and we're, we're still in Oklahoma City. Um, I started a business in 1982 that restores antique airplanes. And somehow or another, we became the largest FAA certified repair station in the world that, that does what we do. Uh, about a third of our business is international. And so my son, Caleb, uh, is constantly flying all around the world to uh, maintain the airplanes for our customers, um, you know, the, the vintage airplanes. So that was 50 years ago last month when I committed myself to Jesus. Back then, I was looking forward with hope and a little bit of faith that, that this was all going to pan out okay, that, that my new life in Christ was a good investment. Now I'm looking back over a lifetime of God's faithfulness to me over and over and over. He has been faithful. And I'm still looking forward to whatever he's going to do with me um, for however long I'm going to be here. See, I haven't arrived. I can still get really selfish. Uh, I can still get really self-focused. I can, you know, I can sin just like everybody else can. Um, but there's this confidence that I have in the Lord that, that he, you really can put your weight down on him and, um, and it works. Um, I haven't lived a life without trouble or without pain. Uh, 40 years ago, my wife and I watched as some people who were really closer to us than our natural family um, went off and, and joined a cult that, um, that was really destructive. There were divorces that came out of that, children that wound up in, in really dark places, and, and some of our friends are still stuck in that. Um, later, two close friends that we had really hoped would find their way to the Lord uh, decided to take their own lives, you know? Um, early in our marriage, I had, a, I had a, an idea for a business. It was a great idea. It really was. And, uh, and so, so I got in the, you know, in the retail business. And, um, and, I, and over the next few months, I watched its meteoric rise and crash. <laughs> and, uh, but we learned some really, really important lessons in all that about, um, about really listening for the counsel of God and, um, and for the counsel of his people. Um, 1997, our 24-year-old son uh, was killed in a car accident. And to this day, we're still walking out some, some hard things in life with his wife and his kids. But through all the ups and downs, through all the advances, and through all the retreats, 
God's faithful love and his care have been sure. The old hymn says it best. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis faith, tis grace. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and his grace will lead me home. Well, let's pray, and, and we'll look into the Bible for um, those verses that you, we read a few minutes ago. Father, we, we come before you, and we ask that you would speak to us, Lord. We ask that, that you would give us uh, hearing ears, seeing eyes, hearts that are open to hear your word to us. Lord, we just present ourselves to you and, and ask you to change us, Lord, as you will. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time together uh, there in Luke chapter 1. Uh, this is the story of John, who would become known as John the Baptist. Now, he wasn't known as John the Baptist because he was a member of the First Baptist Church of Nazareth or the First Baptist Church of Bethlehem, uh, but he was known as John the Baptist because later in his life, he would baptize a lot of people and he would prepare the way for Jesus to come the first time. So in, um, in these first few verses of Luke chapter 1, beginning with 5, we learn that there's this man named Zechariah, and he has a wife named Elizabeth. And we also learn that he's a priest, okay? He's an old man, and he's a priest. In fact, verse 6 tells us that both of these people were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that they were sinless, they still sinned, but what it means is that they were working really hard to keep all the points of the Jewish law. Um, but there's this problem that they have. Elizabeth has been unable to have children, and now both of them are past childbearing age. Verse 9 tells us, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, that Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zechariah has been doing this his whole life. His whole life, he's been a priest. He's been going into the holy place, offering sacrifices. See, he could do this with his eyes closed. So, you know, it's, he doesn't need to think about what he's doing. He's, he's done this a lot. But tonight, something unusual happens. Um, suddenly there's somebody in that holy place with him and an angel appears to him. Now, I don't want to offend anybody here this morning, but this wasn't like a precious moments angel. <laughs> um, there was nothing cute about this angel. This angel was terrifying. Um, in fact, the first thing that this angel says to Zechariah is, Zechariah, don't be afraid. We have, we have uh, recorded times in scripture of angels appearing and what happens is the person falls on their face like a dead person and lays there quivering. So these, these, these heavenly angelic messengers are terrifying when they show up. Uh, it says that Zechariah was troubled and fear fell upon him. But then the angel begins his message to Zechariah saying this, your prayer has been heard. 
See, that's a, that's a great message. Your prayer has been heard. Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, then the angel tells him several things. Number one, Elizabeth is going to become pregnant, will bear a son. Two, uh, you are to name him John. Three, you'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Um, he will be great before the Lord, will be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. That's pretty cool. Uh, number five, his job and his ministry will be to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Now, see, that's, that's great news. That's amazing news. He's going to have a son who will be a source of joy not only to him and Elizabeth, but to everybody around there. And uh, he's going to have a key role in, in what God's going to do over the next few years. See, God's imminent purposes are getting ready to happen, and, and this son is going to have a big role in that. But look at Zechariah's response to the angel. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, this is a really, really bad response um, when you have a magnificent, formidable angel standing there before you, delivering you a word from God. Um, sorry, I can't believe you on this one. Uh, what proof do you have that this really happened? I mean, do you have a, like a driver's license that shows me who you are and is this real? Then in verse 19, Zechariah finds out who he's talking to. The angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So we've only seen Gabriel three other times in Scripture, all in the book of Daniel. So in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel had been fasting and praying, um, and, and he'd been at it for three weeks. And Gabriel was sent with the answer to Daniel's prayers, but it took him three weeks of fighting his way through demonic forces, resisting him before he could get to Daniel. See? Oh, great. He's a warring angel. <laughs> this angel that we're doubting is a warring angel. Not a good person to disbelieve. Gabriel had fought his way through the enemy to deliver a message to Daniel, and now he had again been sent, this time to Zechariah. So what does Zechariah's response um, tell us about him? See, I think that it is really obvious that although Zechariah and Elizabeth had, in the past, prayed for a child to be born to Elizabeth, that was a really old prayer, okay? They weren't praying that prayer anymore, and they hadn't prayed that prayer for a long, long time. See, that prayer had died along with Zechariah's youth and along with Elizabeth's youth. They were old now, so they gave up on that dream. But God hadn't. See, just because something is physically impossible does not mean that it thwarts God's purposes. Um, only a few weeks after this scene that we're looking at right now, um, this same angel, Gabriel, is, um, is going to appear to a little peasant girl named Mary. And Gabriel is going to tell her about a pregnancy that's even more amazing than Elizabeth's. And Mary 
will respond to Gabriel in faith, saying, be it done to me according to your word. See, she responds in faith to this message from God. Remember Abraham and Sarah? See, they were the founders of the Jewish faith. They were 100 years old and 91 years old, respectively, when their son Isaac was born. They were the patriarch and the matriarch of Zechariah's Jewish faith. But Zechariah couldn't see his story in their story. He was stuck in his practical assessment of his impossible situation, and he was stuck in his own unbelief. Isn't it amazing that a priest, educated in all the law and the scripture, working for God every day in the holy place of the temple, misses it completely? And yet a peasant girl who probably couldn't even read gets it. Isn't that amazing? Zechariah's unbelief causes him to get roughed up a little bit. Uh, He comes out of that encounter with Gabriel unable to speak. Um, And that disability stays with him during the entire time of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So in human terms, what had happened was one of God's kids who knew better than to doubt God's word got put in time out. And then he got nine months to think about what he had done. <laughs> said, you just sit over there and think about what you did. See? But God didn't leave him there. Uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 57 of Luke 1. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So do you hear the change of heart 
in this old man of God. Uh, Zechariah had moved from knowing about God to knowing God. See, he had made a move from knowing a lot of facts about God to knowing God. I think too often we get consumed um, with knowing about God, learning about God, when what he really wants is for us to actually come to know him. Now, I don't want to minimize Bible study or listening to podcasts. Um, You know, those things are good. Things that instruct us about God are good. But at the end of the day, if all we have is a head full of information about God, we've missed the mark. Because what he wants is relationship with us. He wants us to know him the way that he knows us. Now, knowing what the Bible uh, says about God is good because it keeps us coloring inside the lines, okay? It keeps us from, from beginning to worship the moon and the stars and the trees and a great gray mass of tapioca in the sky. See, the Bible tells us who God is and what he's like, so we need to study so that we, we understand that, but that needs to lead us to a relationship of faith in him. Um, does anybody know about Charles Blondin? Charles Blondin's an interesting guy. Uh, he was a French high-wire artist who in 1859 came to America, decided to walk a quarter of a mile across a wire that was stretched over Niagara Falls. Now, nobody had ever done this before, and, uh, but Blondin was a great promoter, so he made sure that all the newspapers knew about it. And so on the day of the great event, thousands of people um, had gathered to see him attempt this. Well, before stepping out onto the wire, Blondin said, how many of you think that I can do this? And the crowd roared its approval. Yes, yes, Charles, you can do this. And, uh, and then he said, who will volunteer to go over on my back with me? And you could have heard a pin drop. Nobody volunteered to go across the wire on his back. So he stepped out onto the wire and walked a quarter of a mile. It took him 17 minutes to get across, and then it only took him 15 minutes to get back across. <laughs> um, and just to prove that he could do it, as the crowd watched, he later took his manager across and back, round trip, on his back. Um, I think that, uh, that this lesson, this picture of, um, of Charles Blondin challenging that crowd is a great lesson for us. See, it's not enough for us to believe that God exists or that Jesus is his son. See, that's, that's really not enough. Satan believes that. See, uh, the demons aren't questioning whether or not Jesus is God's son. They know who he is. Um, Jesus isn't looking for fans who will stand on the sidelines and say, yeah, Jesus, you're great. You can do this. He's looking for disciplined ones. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for people who will climb on and allow him to carry them across the chasm from death into life. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that this isn't scary. Um, He's asking for a total commitment from us. 
The Bible says that we are no longer our own, that we have been bought with a price. See, he bought us. So he gets to call the shots in our lives. Um, you may have guessed it, that I never became an astrophysicist. Why not? Because God had other plans for me. You know, like George Bailey in a wonder, It's a Wonderful Life, um, it was hard for me to leave some of those dreams behind. But what I got to know is I got to know the creator of the cosmos. See, the one who created all that, which I was interested in anyway, and that was a whole lot better than just uh, studying about it. So this is, is kind of embarrassing for me to admit, but in my, in my pre-Jesus days, um, one of the things that I used to talk about were petty human relationships, as in, I really don't have time for petty human relationships. Well, guess what I spend a whole lot of my time doing these days? Um, I, I spend time relating to humans. And you know what? Those relationships aren't petty. In fact, those relationships are eternal. I still have a few telescopes. Um, I keep up with the, the latest advances in astronomy. And, and many of those new discoveries, by the way, uh, confirm over and over again God's fingerprints all over the universe. So rather than living out the life that I had planned, what I'm doing is I'm living out the life that he had planned for me. See, the thing that he had in the back of his mind for me before I was even born. So climbing on Charles Blondin's back for a trip across the Niagara Falls would have been terrifying. I mean, you know, if I put myself in that place within that crowd and he says, who wants to jump on? See, that'd be terrifying for me. Well, so is putting your life in Jesus' hands. That's terrifying too, if you understand the stakes. See, if I go all in with Jesus and he drops me, I'm done. I mean, eternally done. <laughs> Um, you know, if Charles Blondin had dropped me, that would have been bad. Not as bad as if Jesus drops me. The good news is that Jesus has never dropped anyone. And he's not about to start with you or with me. So when Jesus came into the world to rescue us from certain death, he bankrupted heaven. See, there was nothing greater. There was nothing more uh, that he could have given or done. He pushed all his chips in the middle. He didn't hold anything back. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 from the New Living Bible. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? See, is it? Is that too much to ask? He put it all on the line for us. I think it's only reasonable that we would respond in like kind. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much uh, for this amazing plan that you had um, to save us out of death. Lord, there's, there's nothing in us that, um, that should, would make us worthy of being able to be saved. Lord, it is just your love 
and your grace that reached out to us when we were your enemies, Lord, when we were running from you as hard as we could run, that was the time that you chose to come for us and, and to love us. Lord, you have pursued each of us like that one sheep that, that is in trouble. Father, I pray that you would, would speak to all of our hearts today and that, Lord, that we would be able to respond to you that we would be able to respond to you in the only reasonable way there is, which is to surrender to your love. So, Father, we, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, knowing that you desire to give them. Amen. Amen. Well, we now get to come to the Lord's table. And um, this, this table is just an amazing opportunity uh, if you're a believer in Jesus today, what this is, is this is an opportunity to come um, not only to remember, but to come in faith um, to, to know the Lord in a very real way. Uh, if, if you're not a believer in Jesus, this, this table doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's, it's just wine and juice and bread, you know, and uh, it, it's not anything special. So I would just encourage you, if you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus or if you aren't really sure where you are with all that, um, skip the table. Come to him himself. Um, and, you know, he's the one, not the table. He's the one who has, has died for you and is calling to you. So there are two tables up here, wine, juice, bread. Uh, come, get the elements, and then um, take them back to your seat and we'll take them all together.